Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Two Bastards podcast. I'm Yoey Dan and I'm one of the two bastards, but the second bastard is Mr. David Reed from Canberra. How you going, Dave? <laughs> G'day, Dan. How are you, mate? The, uh, yeah, what an introduction. Thanks a lot, bastard. <laughs> this week on the Two Bastards podcast, we're not actually talking about a, a cryptid. We're actually talking about a real creature. I've been watching a few videos lately on YouTube and some on you know normal TV, free-to-wear TV, and uh, it's about thylacine, the Tasmanian tiger. There's been a lot of interest lately about people trying to bring it back to life, trying to get the DNA and sequence the DNA, and uh, they eventually, I think, they've got the whole lot of the sequence but the main thing is the trouble that what they're having is what animal that's living that's a close relative to actually put the eggs in to try and get the creature back to be born and to be able to grow up so the creature is like a small quoll or something like that it's got about 95 percent of the genes that the uh and the dna that the uh tasmanian tiger does have that's the trouble they're having is how they're going to do it Tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about the Tasmanian tiger, a few facts. I don't know about yourself, Dave, but what do you know about the Tasmanian tiger? Well, I knew very little about it, Dan, really, until I I thought I had an experience with one in 1979 on the Long Plain to the west of Canberra in the Highlands. Yeah, it was just a glimpse I got of an animal that was, I think, was eating from a dead wombat. And I got to see it as it leapt two strides into uh, some pretty thick bush. And at the time, I thought, that's the strangest dog I've ever seen in my life. It wasn't until some couple of years later that I sort of made a connection between seeing, learning about the thylacine. I thought, I've seen one of those. But that was the only real um, experience I had with it. I did hear at one stage many years ago that there was a possibility that something called the Thylacine Preservation Society around 1910, there was very vague mention of it, of them locating some animals into Wilson's Promontory. So this is 20 years before the last one died in the zoo. But uh, no... I'm not an expert on thylacines by any stretch of the imagination, mate, but uh, they have interested me on and off through my life. Okay, so I've learnt that there's been sightings in South Australia, sightings in far north Queensland where bush is so thick, even the uh, the first explorers just couldn't go through it. Even today, it's really hard to go through that bush, so anything could be living in there. Western Australia, there's been the sightings, and then and in Victoria as well. So what we're going to do is just talk about a few facts about the Tassie tiger, also known as the thylacine, and some people call it, or the odd time they will mention it's called the Tasmanian wolf. The last specimen that was alive, his name was Ben, died in the Bomara Zoo in Hobart on the 7th of September in 1936. And the reason why it died is because they forgot to put it locked up in its pen. So it spent the night outside and it must have been a very cold night because it ended up dying because of the cold. So I don't know who looked after it. I don't know what type of people were running the zoo. Probably very different times back then to what they do now at places like Taronga Zoo and Melbourne Zoo and other places like that. But yeah, it's very unfortunate that it had to die from the cold being left out by the zookeepers. Some really interesting facts is... When like the Europeans first come to Australia, which is the English, to 
to colonise Australia. They went to Tasmania, they started colonising it in 1803 and sending convicts there till about 1830. And they estimated there was about 5,000 thylacines living on Tasmania during that time. So when you look at Tasmania, it's not a massive island. It's about 68,000 square kilometres. And for them to have about 5,000, it's probably, that's what would the island could accommodate only that much it couldn't accommodate 50,000 100,000 because if there was too many they would eat all the animals and everything there so they would die out so it was only about 5,000 they reckon that was around then between 1803 when the first settlers went there till about 1920 that was when the last one they said that was seen to be alive in the wild so it's only taken just a little bit over 100 years to kill off a species that's if it's not there by humans which is a pretty sad thing but just two months before the last thylacine died in captivity which was ben in 1936 the government put them as a protected species but prior to that they were getting a one pound bounty which is about a dollar 25 per pelt in today's money to be shot and killed for to stop them attacking sheep that's what they said they were there they were attacking sheep they've found out that even though their jaw would nearly open up to over 90 degrees and probably larger, they didn't have a strong bite. They didn't have, the, like, you know, you see crocodiles and hippopotamuses and that. They've got this massive big bite. They just uh, they don't have it like a normal dog too. Like a normal dog would bring down a sheep, no worries. But the thylacine didn't have a strong jaw. So they said it was more like it would hunted packs, but it would go for smaller animals like possums and small wallabies and other small animals that lived in, in Tasmania, paddy melons and, and the like, and maybe birds, rat. It was actually a, an animal that was said it was doing something like killing sheep and it wasn't really doing it. They said it was more like wild dogs. So a lot of people had dogs there, a lot of them escaped, and even where down where you are and up where I am and near the Blue Mountains, there's wild dogs problems all the time because you always see the 1080 being put out in traps and saying watch out this 1080 here so to kill the wild dogs they were a nocturnal creature but they were semi-nocturnal so that's why they're probably not seen as much in the daytime as in the night they said they like they said they hunted in pairs they ate small animals they could open their mouths more than 90 degrees you know so the big prey wasn't what they were after so i'm not sure if you knew about that but that's something that early settlers just didn't know about they just thought here's an animal looks like a dog or a wolf it's going to bring down big creatures like the other european animals would so i'm not sure if you knew about that dave no i wasn't aware of that mate but um yeah there's so many points i wanted to mention through what you were talking about if we go back to where you were mentioning the the conditions in the zoo i think if that's all right if we can go back to that point yeah. yeah, the conditions in the zoo, from the footage I've seen of that last um, thylacine, Benjamin, yeah, that, it didn't look like top-notch conditions to keep an animal in any way. It looked like a concreted box with a cage open to the elements, but yeah, nothing in regards to what you'd find at Taronga Park Zoo today if they were still a common thing. You did bring up the when you see that last footage of Ben walking around in the around in the circles, and yeah, it's just a concrete floor and it's just wire cage around there. So yeah, Tasmania is not known to be a, a warm place, and even in September, which is more like springtime here, it's still going to be much colder down there than what it is in up in Sydney and Queensland. 
So, yeah, it might have got down to near minus conditions. So it's an animal that has to live in dens and snuggle up to others to keep warm because if you had to be outside there, you know, even a fully grown man, you would struggle in minus conditions because they reckon if you go out into, get lost into the bush, you're out for two to three nights in cold conditions, you could die. So, you know, even we don't last long in them conditions. Well, I've even noticed myself, Dan, when I, I, like, I've set my swag up in quite a few different locations over the years. And at one time, I went to a uh, a burnt-out hut in um, the Brindabella Ranges. But all that's left there is a, a forestry hut, and all that's left is a um, concrete slab. And I thought it would be a good idea to set the swag up on top of the concrete slab in the middle of winter, you know, minus six or minus seven degrees. I've done that many occasions, putting the swag down on earth, and I really noticed the difference on a concrete slab, as in cold coming up through the mattress. And uh, I think if these animals were being left on a concrete slab as their bedding sort of thing, and well understand how the winter probably got them. I mean, they're a den animal. They would have been in a burrow of some type. I don't know. Maybe they utilise wombat burrows. Who knows? Dig their own or whether they're logs or whatever it is, their little caves or whatever they they use to uh, shelter in. Uh, Yeah, a concrete slab. You know, that's just terrible. Another fact about Tassie Tiger, they were a marsupial, as most people know. And the marsupials, they have pouches, gave birth to at least two to four babies at once. And if you've ever seen a video of like a little baby kangaroo getting born and it's like this little, looks like a little pink jelly bean. So thylacines are pretty much the same. They look the same and they crawl up to find the, the pouch and then they hook up to the little teats there and that's it. They just stay connected to them until they get older. So they said the thylacine's pouch would expand in time to accommodate the young as they got bigger, which I don't think the kangaroos do because they only have one joey at a time where the thylacine's can have multiple young. The lifespan of the thylacine was between five to eight years. So it's even less uh, lifespan than a dog because some dogs, you know, most of them you get around 13 years is pretty good. Most Some go to 16 or 17 or 18. We've had I've had a couple of dogs that grown that old. But I thought they would live a lot longer than five to eight years. That, that's a, a young age, like five years. It's like they've only just grown up and the next minute they're, they've hit their old age and they're dying. So it shows you that they're a fast living animal and grow quick, they live a fast life and then they're gone. That's why they've probably died out. It'd be interesting to know how often they breed. I wonder if there's any knowledge of that. Yeah, that's interesting. Like how many uh, litters they have a year, if yeah. you call them litters. I don't know if you call them litters when they come to thylacines. Because mm, if they only had them like once a year and they only live between five and eight years, if they weren't producing enough young a couple of times a year, that's why they've probably died out within that 100 years. Because, you know, they only had a 5,000, they reckon they've only had about 5,000 there from when Europeans came or settlers. So that's why they it hasn't taken a long time before they've been, you know, wiped out. So if they were prolific breeders like Budgerigards or zebra finches, you know, I've used to keep birds and they just breed any time of year, they don't care. If They'd probably not like that. They're probably just once a year when the time's right and then that's it. Yeah. Oh, well, and just thinking if there was only the uh, estimated 6,000 of them, I think you said, yeah, five thousand. But they could have, they said they estimated five. They could have been six, seven, or eight thousand. But yeah, when people you look at 
Tasmania, it's not a really big island. It's not the smallest island, but it's not the biggest island. So Tasmania tiger that was on Tasmania that was actually in that state is much smaller than the one that was on the mainland that died out a couple of thousand years before settlers come into Australia. And there's... I went to Janolan Caves west of Sydney, just the other side of the Blue Mountains, and there's a thylacine bones in one of the caves there. And I'm sure there's one along, I think it's some caves in Western Australia, and there's a thylacine bones there, and they're of the, the bigger version of the mainland ones. So there was actually uh, two types. So maybe the one in Tasmania was just as big because it didn't have to travel around as long as far, I mean, sorry, uh, it just got smaller. So not quite sure about that. I'm not, I tried to find as much information as I could, but I couldn't find all of it. But the actual last thylacine that died in captivity, Ben, you can go to the Tasmania Museum and you can see the bones, but they do not know where the skin is of that thylacine. They don't know if it's got thrown out or someone kept it or something happened to it. Riddle me this bastard. Yeah. Why, if the thylacine died out on the mainland, bigger or smaller, and uh, this happened 5,000 years ago, why are there still sightings in Australia today? Well, what I want to put to you, Bastard, too, is do you think they're still alive? I don't know, but I'm not writing them off. Me either. I'm not writing them off only because I've, I've experienced enough in the Australian bush to know exactly how remote some places are that aren't as aren't that far away as the crow flies Mm. you know there's places within 10 kilometers of me that uh, nobody's probably wandered into the valley or through it Mm. oh in 20 years you know there there's no reason for anybody to go there and even if an ecologist or some sort of boffin scientist is going in to do some research, you know, that's a small group that goes through a remote area. It's like a needle, you know, like a blip. It's uh, not somebody in the area all the time seeing what's there. The reason why they think the ones on the mainland died out a long time ago was because the Aboriginals and were hunting them, plus the dingoes. The dingoes come in and slowly made their way from the top of Australia down to the bottom, which is where Victoria, South Australia and Western Australia are, and and they died off. But by looking at the amount of bushland we have and how thick it can be after doing, you know, yowie research and that we do and we just bush bash it and some of the places I've been in the Blue Mountains, and I swear, other people have never been. We've been like the first human to walk in that area. And if that's that thick there, some of the places in far north Queensland are that thick. There's got to be something around oh, there. Oh, yeah. No, this is my point with the thylacine. Is, and I'm only, I haven't got any um, hard evidence of this, but I can remember when my first interest in finding out about the thylacine, the Tasmanian tiger, was in the very early days of the internet. And I was very lucky because my wife was always up on technology. And, you know, when the internet first, when she could first get a dial-in modem, you know, off, off she went. But I can remember reading an article so we're going back to 1995 or something, and I can remember reading an article. I'll tell you how early it was in the internet. There were no images. There were no pictures. It was all text. And uh, I can remember reading 
an article written by a fellow who um, had researched some mob called the Thylacine Preservation Society, and it was in 1910. And they could see the writing on the wall, apparently, about the end result, what was going to happen to the thylacine. And they made an effort to instil a population into Victoria. And the release site was apparently the Wilson's Promontory. So that's, you know, if you have a look at the Great Dividing Range, you know, that's uh, that opens up the possibilities of of going anywhere in 1910 uh, wouldn't have been terribly overly populated. So this is what I'm saying. I, I'm I'm not saying yes they are there, but it interests me that people still claim to see them. South Australia, there's been reports through Victoria and some interesting footage, some interesting um, video footage. Because yeah. they do have a very distinctive tail, kangaroo-like tail. Yeah, but so even some like of... if you get a a dog, I, I, I'm sure there's a footage one or two that it just looks like a dog with the mange, and I've seen dogs with the mange and even some um, foxes that are full grown, and they, they lose all the hair off their tail, and if their tail, their skin goes really hard and it gets thick, so that's why it looks like that long tail of the thylacine so i i believe they're still out there somewhere i've i definitely think they're in tasmania yeah like i i I was i was only raising the the possibility of them still being on the mainland dan oh people have seen them on the mainland for sure i was looking up and there was the latest two sightings for the thylacine that i've looked up in uh 2020 in northern new south wales there's a just says there was a couple they live on a they have have a sugarcane plantation and they've yeah. seen Tasmanian tigers, thylacines on several occasions. And they just said northern New South Wales, so there could be anywhere. And the latest one was uh, that's been recorded is the 21st of January 2021. So this year in South Australia, it said uh, a woman told her husband that she saw a thylacine. And the husband's like, ah, oh, yeah, 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 kind of had a bit of a laugh and that. And then not long after that, he said he saw a female with two cubs. So uh, then he's like, yeah, I've seen one as well. So, you know, I don't know, you know, being in a kind of cryptid world and and researching Yowie's, you know, if if you've got to believe people to a certain extent, some people, you know, just will say it just to say, hey, I've seen it, but they really haven't. Some people get a glimpse of an animal that's not a thylacine and then, they just have thylacine in their mind, so that they, their mind's telling them they're seeing something that that what they they haven't really saw. But at least you know these are people that, especially the one that was on the cane farm. Like if they're you know they might have a nice big veranda and sit at the back of their house, and if they're seeing them on a few occasions, you'd have a really good vision of them. You would you, you it's an animal that you couldn't. What can I say? You can't get it. You can't say it's a dog when it's really a thylacine. You know, because the dog and the thylacine are two different creatures. And the thylacine's gait, how it walks, kind of waddles at the back. Its hips are a bit different to what a dog's are, even though it kind of has got the same shape as a dog. And that big jawline it does have, and that thick tail, and then it's always that kind of fawn color with the dark stripes. So it's a bit hard to get it mixed up with a dog. So um, if they're seeing it on a number of occasions, there that's one sighting that I would say I tend to believe the other people that's seen it once I'm not, not sure about have you seen anything else other than your encounter back in the, in the 1970s oh no no mate no not in the way of thylacines no not at all okay 
because they, they said that the size of a thylacine was about 100 to 130 centimetres long and it was about up to 70 centimetres high. So it's still a pretty big animal and they were between 15 to 30 kilos. So you're probably looking at the females are around 20, uh, the mid to low 20s and then the males are always up to about 30 kilos. So it's similar to like a greyhound size. I used to train greyhounds so the males are usually tend to be bigger and heavier than the females. But uh, there's been thousands and thousands of sightings of this creature over the decades. And um, I watched the show recently and uh, it's a guy that's, he wants to bring him back, like I said before. And um, they were lucky that they got the, um, the DNA off a, a young pup that was kept in alcohol because they kept him in, I can't remember the name of the liquid they kept it in, but it actually kills the DNA over time. And oh, formaldehyde. Formaldehyde and it was something else. It was formic acid or something i'm not sure what it was but it, it's some something that you know you can still see the animal you know just like it was in the alcohol but it just kills the dna but they actually found a um a pelt in new zealand and it's back over here in australia now so they were trying to uh, get some dna off that but it was actually too old but they got it off this little young pup so which is mm. a good thing but um i was just gonna say have you heard of a fellow by the name of neil waters yeah, yeah, Neil. Yeah, I've I uh I recently watched a a show that uh, SBS I think Vice did on Neil and another fellow thylacine researcher in Tasmania. Yeah, I think I sent that video to you through the um, the messenger. Yeah, no, that's what's just popped into my memory was his uh, capture of well, I don't know. At first glance, I I could do the mental gymnastics to say it was a baby thylacine. But, you know, there's wide-ranging views on what it is from paddy melon to uh, cat, I think. The one that has, it's like a, I think it's a young one walking away from the actual trail camera. And yeah, you can see like uh, that's two... my, my second thought, it looked like a kitten. Yeah, it kind of did look like a cat-like, but it still it had the two stripes there, and people were saying it was like shadows on the actual uh, of it. And I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence. I'm, you know, because I know Neil's put, he's put a lot of effort and a lot of time. He goes down to Tasmania for a fair amount of time and just sets up trail cameras, and he's always out looking for them. And um, you know, what people got to remember is when you do research on a certain animal, you you start knowing what their characteristics are and, and what's the best time for that to go research and where the best place is to put your cameras. And you start, you pretty much know everything about that animal. You read up on stuff from the past. So he, he's not just going in there willy-nilly. He, he, it's it's his, his interest. He, he loves doing it. Like you and me like researching Yowies and, you know, he's he wants to find it to say, hey, here it is. It is still alive. Let's protect it. So Yeah, no, I, I can understand that, mate. But I mean... You can also suffer from some confirmation bias, you know. That image was sold as when it first was released as being definitive proof, case closed, mystery solved. It's a really interesting photograph. I think it's a fascinating photograph. Yeah, they say But uh, I don't think you can say it's definitive proof. Yeah, there's two pictures there, and it shows you uh, like a, a parent walking through and then there's the baby one, so wish there was just pictures of them bef- of like a bit closer as they're walking past because he's got it on the angle and it's i know trail cameras get a bit funny i've got them and i find trail cameras if you set them for video and camera they lag because it's trying to do two things so when i go out and set 
trail camera, I'll just set them to videos. I don't worry about pictures because videos will tell you a lot more. Even if the animal's further away, you can still get a chance to see it moving and you, you get in one photo, you can only see so much. With a video, you get a chance to see a lot more. So that's what yeah. I tend to do. Well, I, I always set my cameras for one photograph and then 10 seconds of video. And uh, the, the thought then when you were talking about the... Uh, um, about the uh, adults moving through is I have hundreds of taken hundreds of photos of kangaroos that have been taken on that angle where they're hopping away from you. And I will agree with Neil. I don't think they are padamelons. Um, they didn't look to me as in a... a uh, kangaroo wallaby slash anything uh, to that degree of being a, a wallaroo or anything like that. Uh, the little one's the interesting photo to me, that little tail. But uh, I've also, like I said, I've also seen kittens and I also have lots of photographs of feral cats. So uh, I'm sure... Tasmania would be plagued with feral cats just like everywhere else is. Oh, yeah. So that's another possibility. But anyway, interesting photograph. And I am glad there are people out there having a good look. You know, I often wish that the government would uh, throw a few dollars towards uh, national parks to have some sort of in investigation. Yeah, it'd and, be nice. Uh, but they closed the books on it in the in the seventies, I think, or in the eighties. They sort of said we're not interested in looking anymore. Well, the government, at any rate. Remember they when we um, went to the to Gloucester, the Barrington, to do a bit of Yarry research, and Jani came along because she researches Tasmanian tiger thylacines, and she brought those, the cast of the footprints. Yes. They were really interesting because, look, they didn't look like a dog and they had that, there's like a fifth claw at the, at the side and people say, ah, oh, it's just a dew claw and that, but no, dew claws, if your, if your dog's walking normally, a dew claw will not come up in a print. It has to be down on the actual foot, you know, to make that mark in the ground. So when I seen them, I was just like, no, nah, I've never seen prints like this. I've seen a lot of dog prints because when we go out, to, I go out to the Blue Mountains and I come across a lot of dog prints because people that live there walk their dogs and you see a lot of different types of dog prints and this one just did not look like a canine print at all and she said she got it from the mainland up in Queensland. So that's what gives me a good idea that, yeah, they're still around. Yeah, anyway, it's an enigma, mate. I think it's a, you know, if it's going to happen, it'll happen in this day and age because everybody has a mobile camera in their pocket and in some respects, you know, maybe they should leave just leave it alone if they are there and they're breeding. Obviously, to get back from near extinction level to having a population of 6,000 in the state might be impossible. But who knows? No. I think in Tasmania, there's a high likelihood that there's a, a small population in the remote areas that occasionally are seen. And it, 
as for Australia, I don't know, the uh, South Australia, Victoria, New South Wales, Queensland, that's a big, great dividing range and not so much South Australia, but uh, it's a big dividing range and my mind keeps going back to the Thylacine Preservation Society and their efforts in 1910 and how an animal could in that in the next 100 years still hang on in some areas but uh, i don't know it's a mystery yeah i was well i, I was going to say before i uh, i know a friend that lived just down the road from myself and he ended up moving to tasmania you're probably looking about 10 years ago he bought a place out of launceston and um i just asked him while he was going back and forwards in his van to take stuff down and coming back and him once like oh have you come across any thylacines and you know he just had a bit of a laugh and he's like oh I was just on the weekend at a friend's friend of a friend's place, and he said, "I just just looking around, and he's, he goes, his whole place is surrounded by a thick bush. You got to like drive down his dirt road for a couple of k's to get to where he lives." And they had a big party and a you know big fire going in the backyard and that. And he says, "Oh, he just said to the guy, do you see thylacines?" He goes, "Yeah, there's a family. They see them all the time." He says, "I, I don't take any photos or nothing." I goes, "I just I don't want them to be harmed. I know they're here." I'd rather them live without having people coming around taking photos or trying to catch them and say, hey, I found one. And that's what I've heard from a number of different people over the years as saying, we know they're there, we've seen them, we just don't want them to get harmed. So the people that live in Tasmania around them regions that, you know, they're, they're, they're way away from a lot of the population and they've got their house in the bush, they're probably all like that. They just want to see them be left alone and do their own thing so you tend to believe a story from them type of people and anyone anyone else yes oh absolutely and like i say even in the cryptid world mate when it comes to the doolittle not everybody's crazy and there's a lot <laughs> of people so not everybody's seeing them is crazy it's just not and i've met so many people that when you meet them you realize they're not crazy they're just normal people that have had an experience mm. And I imagine it's exactly the same with the thylacine. What do you do? You come home, you say, I think I saw a thylacine. Everybody goes, yeah, mate, they're they're extinct. You, you couldn't have seen a thylacine. But uh, no, I saw a thylacine. Well, it's funny because there's a, I think, I can't remember the name. I think it's called, um, I think it's up in Papua New Guinea. There's actually, a, oh, I just, I seen it the other day. It's They call it the, uh, it's something wolf. But it just looks like a, a bigger version of a dingo. And they reckon that they said it was extinct, but they've just got actual photos of it. Like, right, the, the things were about five minutes away from the person that took the photo. And there was two of them. And they said, well, if there's two of them, there's got to be a lot more for them to be around. It's in, up in Papua New Guinea, and they live right up in the mountains. And uh, I can't remember the exact name of them, but yeah, they've just been found. And they were thought to be extinct for the last 20 or 30 years. And they're still... Yeah. knocking around up there. Someone finally went, you know, not sure what their name was, but, yeah, I've seen it just the other day flicking through things on YouTube. You know, when you go watch a video and then all of a sudden you start seeing other videos and next minute, um, I think it's called like a mountain dog or something like that, but it's basically, right. yeah, it's a mountain dogs. I think that's what it's called, a mountain wolf or something they call it, but it just basically looks like a dingo, but it's a, like it's a big bigger version and its hairs much thicker because it's living up in the mountains and oh. if anyone's gone to like Papua New Guinea to do the you know Kokoda Trail like there's some thick bush out there like you can get lost in there very easily and never come out so anything could be living out there 
Yeah. Well, suppose at the end of the day, Dan, it's uh, going to be a hundred years soon that uh, since the thylacine was declared extinct. Mm. So uh, yeah, a hundred years. Yeah, it's all up in the air, mate. As I think if people keep looking, they'll eventually find evidence if these things are still alive. Yeah. Um, or, you know, one will get run over with a car or something like that. Yeah, just it's, it, it, it'd keep it'd, it'd make the hair on the back of your on the back of your neck stick up, you know, and you'd get goosebumps if you caught one on video footage or you just ap- actually just saw one. Like, even though you know it's not a cryptid, it's actually a real life creature, but to see one in this day and age would just be fantastic, you know. Yeah, but it it would be fantastic, mate. But unless you've got a photograph, a clear photograph, who's going to believe you? No, because that's what oh, I'm. I'm planning to your go friends down to will. Your friends, your friends will because <laughs> they they know you and whether you're a liar or you're not a liar. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, to the outside world, unless you give them some form of proof. Mm. Um, you know, there's 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 always that cloud over you yeah, yeah. of uh, in people's perception. Yeah, you you just need that, you know, the picture or the video. But they 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 do say they've got a uh, like a really weird noise. They make a yapping noise. Um, yeah. When they're hunting, so if you go down to Tasmania and you hear that yapping noise, it's the only animal that does it. So if you hear it, it's not a uh, a devil or a, a quoll or an owl or a dog. It's a it's a thylacine. So um, that's what Neil and other researchers have heard. So um, I want I, I do want to go and visit um, Tasmania. I always thought it'd be a nice place to yeah, just rent a car and drive around the whole island for a month or something like that. And I would certainly be going out with my thermal monocular and my and my uh, parabolic dish, and I, I'd be spending many nights out there trying to see if I uh, I recorded something, so or, or got something on um on thermal. But as um you know, by experience, even in the Blue Mountains, thermal cameras can only go so far because the bush is really thick and it just can't penetrate the bush. So uh, it's you just got to get lucky. That's what it is. It's just like some people have been walking down the road and these some animals who just walk straight out in front of them. They just happen to be at the right place at the right time. Yeah. Anyway, Dave, it's been good to have a chat for our second episode of the Two Bastards podcast. And, yes, uh, it's, been, it's been fun, Dave. It's been fun. And I've learned a lot. Thank you for your research. Yeah, I've learned a lot too because I didn't know about, you know, they had, I knew they, they were paying money, but I didn't know they were giving a pound. A pound was a good amount of money back in the day. If you were, had no money in your pocket and you had a couple of pounds, you, you were pretty rich, you know. <laughs> you could buy a house for a few pounds. So. The 30s was the depression as well. Yeah, so yeah, it didn't help the... Uh, didn't help the thylacine when uh, there was no money about nor paying you a pound to kill him. No, uh, not at all. Uh, for the next episode, which will be episode three, I'm hoping to get a special guest to uh, get them in and uh, have a chat. I'm not going to tell you or the listeners who it is. Uh, you will Ooh. know. You will know before uh, before <laughs> the episode does come to air. But we'll, oh, thank uh, heavens for that! I thought that'd be a bastard act. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> see, I might be a bigger bastard than you after all. <laughs> Before we go, one thing I want to ask you: Have you been hiking in thongs lately? 
No, mate. I've had to hang my thongs up, unfortunately, and move on to sandals. Oh, no. Can't start calling you Caesar. No, you can get good grip on the bottom of hiking sandals. And, you know, I don't know. I thought hiking thongs were the best. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, I've got video evidence of you hiking in thongs. So I know. I know. I love it. It's the best. <laughs> All right, we'll leave it at there, and uh, All right, I mate. hope everyone enjoyed the uh, second episode of the Two Bastards podcast. And uh, yeah, we're hoping to have a special guest for the next episode. Anyway, I'll say goodbye for now, bastard, and I uh, hope to see you soon. Anyway, when uh, I get down to the nation's capital again. Lovely. Talk soon, Dan. All right, bye, mate.